This is Yudaha Kohen, Vision Movement, Vision Magazine, and you're listening to the Next Stage Podcast. We are fast approaching the holiday of Shavuot, festival of weeks. In ancient times, Chag Shavuot possessed several layers of significance within our society. Along with Pesach and Sukkot, it was one of the three major pilgrimage festivals that brought Israelis from every tribe across the country to celebrate together as a collective in Jerusalem. And uh, Shavuot specifically celebrates the land of Israel's wheat harvest and the ripening of uh, first fruits. And this is actually emphasized by the day's other names. You know, it's often been called uh, Chag HaKatsir, the festival of harvest, uh, or uh, Yom HaBikurim, a day of first fruits. And in ancient times, uh, we had a much more intimate relationship with the natural world. And our society largely revolved around our agricultural cycles. And this seven-week period between Pesach and Shavuot that uh, begins with the barley harvest and ends with the wheat harvest was a central part of our identity in this land. But most importantly, Shavuot, the uh, 6th of Sivan, was celebrated and continues to be celebrated as the day that Israel received the Torah at Har Sinai. Um, after leaving Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, we counted seven weeks until arriving at Sinai and sharing an unparalleled experience of collective nevoah, collective prophecy. But uh, fully appreciating Shavuot uh, and the Torah we received really requires a deeper understanding of what the Torah is. What is this Torah that Israel received? Uh, you know, there's a misconception that's pretty widespread that the Torah is just a, a religion or a set of fragmented rules meant to coerce human behavior. And our sages teach that the Kadosh Baruch Hu, the creator, looked into the Torah and created the world in much the same way that an architect uh, looks at his plans before embarking on his project. And uh, we should regard the Torah as the blueprint of existence, the divine ideal from before creation lowered into our world in order to guide us in successfully advancing humanity to the conscious awareness of our relationship to our creator and our deepest inner self, uh, our deepest inner collective self. And uh, to elaborate on all of this and to really go a little deeper into what this Torah is that Israel received on Shavuot, I have invited a teacher of mine, Rav David Samson, who was uh, one of the few English-speaking students of Rav Tziyuda HaKohen Kuk, who is able to share this Torah, uh, a Torah that's that's not widely available, that has not been widely available in the English-speaking world uh, until recently. Uh, Rav Samson is actually one of uh, the figures responsible for changing that, uh, one of the first translations of uh, Orot, of Rav Kuk's writings, uh, was really uh, spearheaded by Rav Samson. Uh, it's a Lights on a Road series. Uh, I'm sure it's available online. And if not, maybe uh, Rav Samson, you can tell listeners where they can get a hold of it. But uh, I, I'd like to welcome you to the show, and, uh, and I'm excited to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Yehuda. And uh, shalom to all of our listeners. And uh, it's actually uh, exciting that uh, we're about to celebrate the holiday of Shavuot. It's uh, it's interesting that uh, there's a three-day preparation period 
before we receive the Torah. Uh, we don't find that with uh, Pesach and Sukkot. With Pesach, we find a 30-day period that uh, precedes Passover, but it's primarily so that you just know what to do. There are just so many rules and laws that uh, apply to Passover that you just need 30 days to start studying the laws so that you'll get your Passover Seder down straight and know the laws of eating uh, matzah. But uh, that doesn't necessarily apply to Sukkot or to Shavuot. Uh, Sukkot, we don't find uh, 30 days before and we don't find three days before. And these three days are very unique. And uh, uh, it's not enough to celebrate Shavuot, but you have to put yourself in a mindset three days beforehand, preparing yourself to receive the Torah. Now, the natural question will be, well, okay, that sounds great. What do you do? What do you do to prepare yourself to receive the Torah? Now, I, I remember so many times, I heard this many, many times. It's not like a, it was a one-time thing that Rabbi Cook would say. But uh, Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Cook would often um, ask this question. And he would quote the song that we sing in the Seder night of Dayenu. And he would quote the verse, if God would have brought us to Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, that would have been enough. And then Rav Cook says, well, what does that mean? What, what kind of sentence is that? That <laughs> we would all come and all of the 12 tribes, we would all be facing uh, Mount Sinai. And then <laughs> instead of receiving the Torah, there would be no Torah. And that would just be enough. What was that? That that would be enough? Like, what were we doing camping? And it's leading to the same question. Well, what is this preparation? And uh, Rashi, in his commentary on the verse, Vayichan Yisrael Neged Ahar, the Jewish people encamped surrounding the mountain, he explains, Ke'ishachad, because the text of the Bible uses a singular form, Vayichan, and instead of using the usual plural form, Vayachanu, we're talking about the entire Jewish people. So the form that should be used is uh, a plural form of the verb, and they camped, not in he camped, Vayichan. And uh, asking this question and playing on this question, Rashi gives a, a wonderful answer uh, based on our sages. And he says that we camped that we were one person. We were like one person with one heart. And it's very interesting that uh, he explains the use of the singular verb Vayichan, and he camped instead of they camped because the Jewish people were one. Okay, now how does how does that have anything to do with what we're supposed to do during these three days? Well, <clears throat> we're going to go on and let, let's analyze what it means to be one. So there's a very interesting Rashi who has the same comment in another verse where the Torah uses a singular 
instead of a plural expression. And it says, The Egyptians, when they were chasing the Jews as they left Egypt, it says that they <coughs> pursued them. Now, the word pursued is used in singular instead of plural. It says, Vayisa, and he pursued. So Rashi explains, Belevechad ki'ishechad, that it uses the singular because they did it with one heart as one man. Egypt. The Egyptians, yes. So now we find the Jewish people on one hand with one like one man with one heart, and we find the Egyptians with one heart and one man, and then doesn't seem like there's much of a difference, and then I guess anybody, any nation can have uh, one heart and one man. The Avnei Nezer, uh, the rabbi from Sochachah, he, he was uh, uh, one of the leading masters of the Hasidic movement, very, very, very uh, shrewd and uh, very sharp. He said that the two are not exactly the same. And that he noticed that when Rashi is describing the Jewish people, <clears throat> he says, He first uh, says that we were like one person with one heart. When he describes the singular verb <clears throat> pursue regarding the Egyptians, he first says with one heart, and then he says like one person. And he explains that there's a difference. There was a difference between the unity of the Jewish people and the unity of the Egyptians when they were pursuing us. And he said that uh, the unity of the Egyptians was predicated on a common anti-Semitism and that they all hated the Jews. And that's what brought them together. And because they all hated the Jews, so they banded together as one. But it wasn't an inherent bonding. It was just a bonding for the sake of this common goal of pursuing the Jewish people. But as soon as that goal was no longer there, then each man was, you know, for himself and of his own and to his own. And they no longer had this integral bond. However, regarding the Jewish people, Rashi comments that first, we are inherently one person. And as a result of being one person, we receive the Torah. And I think that this is uh, not an easy accomplishment. And that every Jew has to see that his connection with the Jewish people is not the same connection that anti-Semites have to anti-Semitism. And just like anti-Semitism, uh, anti-Semites rally around anti-Semitism in order to band together, so we will rally around the Torah in order to band together. No, even though that sounds like a great idea. We do not rally around the Torah. We rally, period. We're together because we're together. And that once we're together, then we are an address that is worthy of receiving the Torah. It's a very interesting and different and a, a very uh, distinct concept that uh, applies to us. And it's what God is asking us. And that means that 
we're not supposed to love our fellow man because our fellow man also loves the Torah. And we all have this common goal. And anybody who loves the Torah, then we love him because we're all together in this Torah-loving nation. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to love our fellow man because we are supposed to love our fellow man. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. You don't love yourself because of any ideology. And very often people change their perspectives and voltanshangs and uh, way of looking at the world and their ideologies and beliefs. And they still love themselves equally or they hate themselves equally. But it all stays the same throughout their ideological growth. And it doesn't change with what they believe in because people love themselves by definition, it's just an inherent trait of man. There's one place that Rabbi Cook writes that the greatest uh, talent of man is to love. And that man, when he achieves his full potential, is a man who loves. So instead of calling us uh, uh, homo erectus as the man who stands, uh, we are homo uh, amoros. The, the man who is able to love. And this is what differentiates us from all other species and all other uh, animate and inanimate objects in the world. We love. And as Jewish people, we hold a special love in our hearts to our people. You know, I remember I once went to a, uh, to a lecture and it was at it was at the Kabbalah Center, and uh, the lady uh, was explaining it was on the holiday of Jewish love on Tubaav how Judaism is uh, in favor of love, and just uh, I forgot what the word was like un unmeasured love, just equal love to everyone and everything, and. Uh, uh overwhelming love without any boundaries and after the lecture i came to the lady and i said you know that judaism is not really in favor of uh, uh love with uh, equal love without boundaries for everybody and she said well where do you see that and i said well for instance in the ten commandments uh you're not supposed to love your neighbor's wife as much as you love your own wife and then she said, oh, I see. I see what you're saying. And uh, we have a graded love in Judaism. We love. It's true. That's our talent. That's what we do. We, we love. But we love in a graded and um, denominated fashion. We first, we love ourselves. You love your neighbor like you love yourself. And uh, next, you love your wife. It's brought down in the words of our sages that the reason why you get married is so that you'll be able to keep the precept, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And a person is expected to love his wife like he loves himself. And a person who is not married is not able to keep this precept of loving someone else like he loves himself. And uh, the wife is considered the object of first love then we extend the love to the family 
And uh, there is a, a rule that if a person can give tzedakah to uh, his family and his own children, or he could give tzedakah to someone else, he is supposed to give the tzedakah to his own children. And if someone gives tzedakah to someone else's children before he gives tzedakah to his own children, then we say that his love is misplaced and it's not in the proper uh, graded format. So first it's the person, then it's his wife, then it's his family. And then we go to his nation. And uh, that is a, a pit stop of graded love. And the Jewish people are expected to have a greater love towards their nation than they have for all of mankind. And they're supposed to have a greater love for mankind than they do for the animal kingdom. And that we also, we love animals and we're in favor of everything that has to do with uh, taking care of animals. Tsar Baalei Chaim Midoraita, the prohibition of dealing uh, negatively with animals is specifically understood as a Torah precept. We love animals. However, however, it's in a graded fashion. And that if you can cure people using laboratory rats, then Judaism is in favor of that. We're in favor of being nice to rats. We don't want to uh, be mean to rats. But if there is a love to the Jewish people or a love to humanity that uh, can be expressed and it is at the expense of the animal kingdom, then we use the animal kingdom. The same is true with plants. And that uh, if you have an animal and a plant and an animal is caught in a bush, like the ram in the, <clears throat> like the ram that we find in the Bible, we find that uh, Abraham frees the ram from the plant and that he probably tore some of the leaves of the plant getting the ram out. And uh, when it comes to a plant and an animal, we prefer the animals above the vegetable kingdom. And vegetables, because they have life, they precede minerals. So we have a graded love that goes from yourself to your wife, to your family, to your nation, to your uh, uh, to humanity, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom. But it includes everything. It even includes rocks. There's a great story about Rabari Levine that he had to leave Israel. So right before he left, he wanted to take a rock with him so that he would have a piece of Israel with him as he left. And then the last stop of the train before he left Israel, he uh, took the rock and put it back. And uh, his helper who was with him asked him, well, why did you do that? And he said, well, if I have to leave Israel, there's no reason why this rock has to leave and a sensitivity even to the mineral kingdom of not taking a rock out of Eretz Israel and leaving it where it was. Now, let's go back to the holiday of Shavuot and the three days and what we're supposed to do. So we're getting this idea that we're supposed to love and we're supposed to love the Jewish people. And here we find that it's a love that's different than the love which is banding together as a result of a common ideology, the love that the, that the Egyptians had to pursue the Jewish people as they left. It's not that kind of a love. It's not the love of a common Torah, but it's an inherent love. Now, Rabbi Cook 
would always uh, mention an interesting verse, an interesting uh, expression of the sages. And it says that uh, a person should always love his fellow man and bring him close to Torah. And he would say that do not misunderstand these words of the sages. You do not love your fellow man in order to bring him closer to the Torah. It, it's not a uh, cynical love that as long as I can bring him close to Torah, I'm willing to love him. But if there's no shot at bringing him close to Torah and he's going to remain uh, an anti-Torah Jew, then there's no reason to waste love on such a person. Rabbi Cook is saying that, no, there are two parts of this uh, expression. Number one is love your neighbor. And number two, bring him close to Torah. These are the two stages that we're going to go through in the next few days. Stage number one is understanding the integral unity of the Jewish people. And we spend three days, Vayichan Yisrael Neged Ahar, just absorbing and becoming this organism of unity and just understanding how, by definition, we're all together in the same boat and that we were all created in the image of God. And we all share this soul, which is the soul of the Jewish people. And that is what inherently and essentially binds us together. And this is the source of the warm blood in our heart that expresses this love. Number two, once Shavuot comes, oh, well, now, now we go to stage two and let's learn the Torah. Today in Israel, Everyone is very uh, vocal, and the streets are full of demonstrations, whether it's for the judicial reform or whether it's against the reform. Uh, everyone is demonstrating. And as long as everyone is demonstrating and expressing, that's very good and healthy. Rabbi Cook writes, uh, in a few different places, how there is thesis, antithesis, and synthesis, which is the progression of many parts of history of the Jewish people. And that as long as there are people who demonstrate and there are people who counter demonstrate, and then there's a synthesis of this, that's healthy. It's very healthy and it's very good because that means when you demonstrate, you want someone to see, to see you yourself demonstrating. And that when each side is demonstrating, they're demonstrating so that the other side will see them. And that's a form of dialogue. And that's a form of expression. As long as uh, we're all demonstrating and expressing ourselves and our interest and our desire that uh, uh, whoever is on the other side will see us and want to listen to us, that's a blessing. And that's actually a blessing, which um, is the blessing of Vayichan Yisrael Neged Ahar. Rabbi Cook has a very interesting explanation of the letter Chet. Rabbi Cook wrote a book on the alphabet, on the Hebrew Aleph bed. And he explains each letter. And he says that the letter Zion means to to fight. It's uh, the letter of war. It means to uh, have a weapon. The literal meaning in Hebrew is a weapon. 
And he said that the letter Zion is a weapon and that when you come to this letter of a weapon, so uh, you're very uh, antagonistic and you're, you're, you're uh, weaponizing the alphabet. But he says the next letter, Chet, is composed of two different letters. One is a Zion and the other is a Zion. And they're hooked together by a triangular roof. It's called a chatoteret. It's called a hump. The same use that we, uh, the same word that we use for the hump of a camel. And uh, we we tie the two letters of Zion together with this roof that connects them. And Rabbi Cook explains that the chet, which is the most miraculous of letters, like the eight days of Hanukkah. <clears throat> this letter, Chet, what it does is it combines the two warring Zions. We have one Zion on one hand, which is for, and we have the other Zion on the other hand, which is against. So we have the thesis and antithesis, and they're warring. But the synthesis is able to put a roof above it. Now, it's very interesting if you look. There is no such thing with any other letter, except, of course, the Lamed, which is above the line, that you have part of the letter which is above the line. The top of the letters all end at the top of the line. The only part that protrudes above the line is the roof of the Chet. And Rabbi Cook explains because the connection between those who are for and those who are against can only be realized by going above the line. The connection of the Jewish people is inert. It's not something that can be fathomed and understood and expressed in simple philosophical theology. It is something which just is because it is and it is, and it's way above anything that you can uh, express beneath the line. It's something unfathomable. It's something deep. It's because we all share a common soul. This is the source of our unity. Attaching ourselves to this common soul is the essence of the prerequisite needed to receive the Torah. This is the essence that the Jewish people actually have in the fact they don't realize. They think that they're demonstrating and they're on one side. But if they analyze deeply what they're doing by demonstrating, they're relating to the other side by demonstrating. And by relating to the other side, they're actually admitting that we're in the same boat. That's why I'm demonstrating. The depth of these demonstrations are manifesting the inherent unity that the Jewish people are expressing. And the one Zion on one hand and the other Zion on the other hand are being uh, uh, roofed and being capped and topped and being hinged together and forged together by the roof that is above the line of the Chet. And uh, the Chet is the wonderful unity of the Jewish people. And this is what we have to adopt and accept and, 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 and uh, prepare ourselves for in order to be able to receive the Torah on the holiday of Shavuot. So just to clarify, we're saying that the people of Israel are one soul, the Rav mentioned a collective soul, that uh, shines into this world through millions of bodies in space and time called Jews. Right? Beautiful. I couldn't have said it better. 
But we also learn that the Torah and Eretz Yisrael are expressions of that same soul, correct? Like we share a soul with the Torah, we share a soul with the land of Israel. Also, just to strengthen the Rav's point, in uh, in Hallel, when we refer to Israel, we say Yomar na Yisrael, like it's singular. But when we speak about the Kohanim, like the Bnei Aaron, uh, my sub-tribe, we say Yomruna. Or when we speak about Yirei Hashem, which I assume is righteous Gentiles, we say Yomruna, where we're speaking in the plural. But when we speak about Israel, we're speaking in the singular, that it's one entity we're referring to. Uh, and and the, if I understand correctly, the Rabbi is saying that in order for us to be able to receive the Torah properly, we need to already come in with the mindset of us being a singular, that we're all expressions of the same identity. We're all expressions of the same collective soul, I guess, what the Mikubalim would refer to as Knesset Yisrael in this world. Very good. Yeah, very well said. Very well uh, recapped. And uh, there's actually a danger of learning and studying the Torah uh, without this attitude. You know, when I first came to Merkaz Arab, I uh, missed Rabbi Cook's opening words. And uh, I went to him after I felt, I, I wasn't feeling well. And a few days later, I felt okay. And I went to Rabbi Cook privately. And uh, I told him I missed the opening lecture and I thought he would you know refer me to a book or just tell me something and he sat down and gave me the whole opening lecture verbatim uh for an hour <laughs> I I was you know in in the line with other people that were waiting to speak to him and like you know what, what happened that he took an hour so apparently it was very important for him for me to get this information what is Merkaz Arab so what did he tell me in that hour he said, what is special about the Yeshiva Merkaz Arab is that we recite the blessing before we learn Torah. I said, well, everybody does that. And he said, the blessing before we recite Torah is, Asher bachar banu mikolamim v'natan lanu etorato. We specifically say in the blessing of Torah, the fact that God chose us from all of the nations and gave us the Torah. You would think that this nationalistic concept would have nothing to do with the blessing of Torah and that Torah is Torah. For instance, when you make a blessing for uh, uh, for eating an apple, you thank God for creating trees and you don't say, God, thank you for creating the Jewish people who are able to plant trees. You, you thank God for trees, the same as with potatoes. You thank God for having potatoes. You don't thank him for the Jewish people. And here in the blessing of the Torah, we mention that thank you. And thank you for creating the Jewish people. Asher bachar You chose us from all of the nation and gave us this Torah. And he said that this is the necessary prerequisite for studying Torah. It's the context, the story of the people of Israel, the identity of Israel, the mission of Israel is the context through which the Torah is properly understood. Uh, the Talmud goes on to teach us that this was the cause of the destruction of the, of the temple because the Jewish people studied Torah without this perspective, without understanding that we are studying Torah as messengers of the entire Jewish people. And every single Jew, when you stay up and you learn on Shavuot night, whatever it is that you study, 
you do not study for yourself and it's not for your personal advancement and academic uh well-being everyone who is studying has to see himself as a messenger of the jewish people because what god allows you to understand and study only you can understand and study and you are that special unique individual and you are that special unique organism of the jewish people that is meant to study this letter of torah this understanding of torah that only you understand in your specific way and when everybody sees themselves as messengers and representatives of the jewish people and their specific unique self as the part of the jewish people that is them then we are able to receive the torah and i want to wish everyone everyone who is listening to us that we should all have a wonderful shavuot and we should uh, be able to once again be together like the jewish people were on the eve of shavuot we should all be able to camp together facing the torah facing the mountain of sinai we should all be able to camp together like one man with one heart and receive the torah together amen uh, Rob Sampson, before I let you go, I just had one follow-up question. If we're if we're saying that the people of Israel share as a soul, and we're really one in our essence, and uh, we share that soul with the Torah and uh, and with the land of Israel, um, in in what way can we argue that the Torah uh, teaches us how to live our own natures? Meaning, uh, it says in the Gemara and Yoma that Abraham kept the Torah. You know, generations before Sinai, generations before receiving the Torah and Shavuot. Um, you know, today, most most of our listeners are, especially because this is an English language podcast, most of our listeners are coming from the Western world. And the perspective in the Western world is that there is a human being. And then you have this external rule book, whether it be the Torah or, or maybe somebody you know, believes in something else and he has a different book, but the, the book is meant to coerce our behavior and pull us or push us in a direction other than what we really are uh, at, in our essence. So in what way can we, can we say from a Hebrew perspective that the Torah is actually teaching us to, to live our nature, to be ourselves, uh, as opposed to trying to coerce us into doing something other than our nature? Western civilization is predicated on maximum pleasure for the individual mm -hmm. and uh judaism is predicated on the altruistic principles of maximum spiritualism now it's true that we also want maximum pleasure for the individual but we believe in the next world and the maximum pleasure of the individual is not only in this world, but it's in the next world. And we see it as a combined system. Now, the Torah, by definition, is instructions for use. You know, when I came to Israel, I found an interesting thing. Uh, Israelis, the first thing they do when they get something new is they take the instructions and they throw them in the garbage and then they try to figure out how it works 
And then when they can't, they usually kick it. And we are the startup nation and they find very ingenious ways of using and getting it to work without the directions. Uh, but there is another way. And uh, I remember from my youth in the United States, my father was very meticulous about uh, taking the directions and reading them and using them. And he would say, well, stage number one, stage number two, but never skip a stage. And uh, usually when you do it this way, uh, it works better. And you don't have to kick it in the end in order for it to get started or figure out what you did wrong or short circuit something by accident. <clears throat> and God, when he created the world, he gave us directions for use. And that if we use the directions, everything will work out for the best properly. And uh, mankind will have uh, a very good life. Uh, if we don't, then naturally uh, we can't expect the same outcome and we're going to end up uh, crying and kicking when something doesn't work. Sounds reasonable. But again, I, I don't want to end my words with crying and kicking. And again, I want to reiterate my blessings and I want to bless all of the listeners. First of all, I want to bless you all with physical health. I want to bless you all with mental health and that you should all feel psychologically well. I want to bless you all with spiritual health and you should all feel connected to your most inner selves. I want to continue and give you blessings for your close and loved ones. And you should be able to live your life based on these three healths, physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual health. And when you live your lives based on uh, these, these healths, these uh, wonderful principles, you should feel that God is walking with you in your life. And you should be attentive and be able to live your life feeling and knowing and seeing that God is truly with you. And the blessing that will result from this should not only remain with you, but all of your loved ones should also be able to have this wonderful experience of walking with Hashem. Amen. Real quick, Rav Samson, where can listeners find your work and your books? Um, well, uh, I wish I knew the answer to that. Uh, they sell on Amazon and uh, you can get uh, electronic copies on Amazon. I think you can also get some other copies. Uh, and for, for listeners who are interested in your books but are boycotting Amazon, is there anywhere else where they might be able to find your books online? Well, then you're going to have to make Aliyah, live in Israel, and go to the Pomeranz bookstore. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be that they also have a website and that they're available through the website of Pomeranz. I can look for a non-problematic website uh, through which to order these books and post it in the show notes. Uh, I just want to recommend to listeners some of your books, specifically Tort Eretz Israel, Lights on a Rot, Eretz Israel, and War and Peace. I think that uh, for me personally, uh, when I first moved to Israel and was studying in Mechon Meir and learning the Torah of Rav Kook for the first time, I found these books of yours to be incredibly helpful. They're extremely accessible for somebody who's a beginner to Rav Kook's thought, even somebody who's a beginner to Torah. Uh, and uh, I found them to be very helpful in terms of just 
compartmentalizing uh, a lot of the foundational concepts in the Torah of Rav Kook. And I highly recommend that listeners go ahead and order these books. Thank you. Rav Samson, thank you so much for joining me on the show. I wish you and yours uh, Chag HaShavot Sameach. And, uh, thank you. And thank you very much. Listeners, this has been the Next Stage Podcast at Vision Magazine. If you're interested in checking out the show notes for this episode, you can go to visionmag.org backslash the next stage, 9-8.